0: You're listening to Earnestly Speaking, the only weekly podcast that covers friends, foes, and anything that goes. And now, for your badass host, Ernest Owens. And we're back for another episode of Earnestly Speaking with your host, Ernest Owens, myself. (laughs) Well, well, well. Well. September. Yes, it's September. I'm excited. Um, and I've been in the blogs. What can I say? I have been in the blogs. Um, clearly all the rumors are true. Um, it's, it's been quite the time, the time, the internet, you know, I don't, I mean, listen, it, you know, for those who have been following me for years, listen to this podcast. You know, nothing's new over here. It's it's always something. I'm always in the news for something, and yeah, there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> so much to talk about. And you know, earlier this this uh, week, I did a bonus episode uh, dealing with Talcum X, and of course, that episode, surviving Sean King, um, has been on the podcast. Uh, has you know you you know you can listen to it. Um, I delve into some of those controversies and. You know, there's apparently going to be a story about it. And a journalist, a credible journalist and reporter from a major national um, outlet reached out to me uh, for comment regarding the entire situation. Um, So, you know, it's a lot going on there, but I will get into some of that. So how I've been feeling lately, look, i have been good. You know, this is a new month. You know, I must say I'm not like crazy about Virgo season um, personally. because I'm a Libra, so I'll just be sitting there around looking like, when is Libra season coming? Because, you know, my favorite season of the year is fall. And so I need to go ahead and get me some fall candles. And, you know, I had talked about some summer um, candles um, that I had. It's time to say goodbye to the sugar Lemon Zest. And get into that, you know, pumpkin spice situation or that white pumpkin spice or, you know, all of the different types of fall scents. And I just want to say that apple macchioco. Look, I'm not into the coffee drinks, but I will always try a pumpkin spice latte or something that's fall just for kicks, you know, shits and giggles. Um, I like that apple caramel macchiato latte. Now, somebody I know, a good friend of mine described it best. and 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 I do think it do taste like this is that it's like having apple. Was it? like an apple type of cereal. um, That's like a spiced apple. I, I think it's either Apple Jacks. I think it was. And the milk, the milk that has all the sugar and all of that apple scent and flavor. It's like drinking the milk after a good bowl of cereal. Now I haven't, I don't, I don't eat cereal as much anymore. I don't know the last time I actually had a bowl of cereal. Like I feel like I will have a bowl of cereal. I don't even know the last time I've had like, like regular, like dairy milk that's in a glass cuz we don't even drink at the house we don't drink dairy milk um and we barely eat yogurt anymore i used to be really into greek yogurt many years ago but that was when it was a fad remember that um but i i don't really do like just like dairy like i mean i i like cheese that's dairy but and, and, you know and i and I like my gelato and, you know, I do like I do like my well, let me say talentini. OK, there's ice cream and there's talentini. <laughs> Talentini's a little different, but like I love their sorbets and that's dairy free. But I'm very not so dairy. But the best way she described it was she said it tastes like the milk of like after you finish Apple Jacks. And I was like, that's pretty spot on because I remember that. Like I remember what Seal would do to me. Like anybody who's ever lived know that when you have Captain Crunch, even though I used to love me some Captain Crunch, one of the things that annoyed me about Captain Crunch as a child is my the roof of my mouth. Because of the that the the way that Seal was made, it would just cut at the the roof, the the the, the small delicate tissue of my of my uh, the roof of my mouth. And I used to always remember having that experience every time I had it. I mean, it would quickly heal and get better quickly, but it would just be annoying. Um, but I think everybody else said, what's your favorite cereal? I would say, if I remember well, I, it was two. It was Cinnamon Toast Crunch, because I just felt like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I mean, like, the milk after Cereal Toast Crunch, like, after you ate the cereal itself, was just, was just bomb. Okay? Genius and honey nut cheerios i just loved honey nut cheerios and i love a good honey nut cheerios when i used to slice some bananas in there sometimes i used to do strawberries but my mother used to get mad about strawberries because she would just be like okay these strawberries you can't be playing with my strawberries but the bananas that was my thing so yes those are my favorite cereals but i don't really eat cereal anymore uh, but every time i go to my mom's house and i think i was talking about this like when i go home down south and see my folks I know, you know, I have younger brothers. So when I go home, there's always like fruit snacks and crap that I don't have at the house. And it's not that I can't get it. It's just that I just, in my mind, like I can't go through. Like I don't buy loaves of bread. I don't even buy bread. Like I don't buy loaves of bread. I don't have any loaves of bread. I have no potato chips. Every blue moon, I will get like salt and vinegar chips. Like we are very like, I don't know if the word is health nuts. Maybe we are food conscious. I don't know. We're, We're very particular about the the food that we buy in the house like we now let's be clear we order out and we do other stuff that is like we're not one of those teen clean eating trying to force it down your throats but we just are very big I don't know we just are mindful that if it's not here we can't eat it so we don't really have chips um, I don't do like a, I'm not crazy about candy um, I like a good like I said I like some salt and vinegar chips but I don't actually go crazy about um Potato chips and stuff like that. Um, what else? We don't have loaves of bread. We don't buy milk. We do almond milk. We do you know other types of milks. Uh, we're not really yogurt people. We we do buy our veggies fresh. We we are big fruit people. We buy lots of fruit. We definitely buy fresh veggies. Um, we do buy cheese, but not processed. Like not the the cheese slices because we don't make sandwiches at the house. It's what do we like? Everything we eat is always like we don't have a microwave. And we don't have a TV. Yes, we're cavemen. No, I, I we just, yeah, we just, I don't know. I, I like not having a TV. I have a laptop and I do stream, but um, I've, I've, I've been cord free for over a decade now, well, wow, eleven years. I, I didn't have a TV in college either, um, and I think I was all the better for it to be honest. Um, so we don't have a TV. Like even when Mister Johnson and I got together, we both did not, like he didn't have a TV in college either. Uh, we went to Penn, we both did it. So we just came into the relationship with, like, not being pressed to have a TV. And and a microwave either. We don't have a microwave. We have a crock pot, uh, air fryer, Instapot, all of that. But we don't have a microwave. And I've been anti-microwave since I graduated from college. So it's been about uh, seven years without a microwave. And I'm very, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I like my conventional oven. Um, for those who like to make pizza... It's best to reheat pan pizza on a cast iron skillet and you cover it. Pro tip, look it up. Like, microwave, no. I've never needed to the microwave anything. I've been able to cook without a microwave. So when people say I got nice skin or whatever, maybe that's why. I don't drink coffee either. Now, Mr. Johnson drinks coffee, but I don't drink coffee. All right. So, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. So... Ah, where do I start? I guess I'll start with wedding. Um, the wedding's coming along well. We're like, what, six weeks away? I'm gonna be somebody's husband? This shit is lit. I'm, I'm, it's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Spirit dance. It's weird. It's wild. I'm not nervous or anything. I'm not even anxious. It's just kind of like, let's do it. I'm very, I'm very excited. Um, yeah, we're just you know getting things together. We're, we've pretty much just officially finalized the list, all confirmed. All of our people are, are fully vaxed. Um, you know, everybody's everybody's down. Tables confirmed. People were people are where they're sitting. We got the master list. We got everybody's food orders. I mean, we've confirmed everything. Everything is set. We have a full cast. Of flowers, decorations, the limo. Everything is set. Everything is. We're just ready. We're just, you know, you know, finessing little details and day of stuff. But we're just, we're ready. We're ready. It's going down. It's going down in October. Um, I'm turning thirty in October. I'm getting married in October. I'm just, it's, it's, it's there. So I'm super excited about that. That's probably, woo, the thing. Um, the wedding brunch and the wedding recital dinner. All of that is already taken care. We we got a black-owned restaurant. We got a great Italian BYOB. I'm super excited. So what else, what else is going on with the diesel? Oh, so a lot of you all have asked me, I have heard about this story about this couple who is charging people money for not um, attending their wedding, like no show. Basically they're making people pay, uh, I think I was like $200 something or whatever, close to $200, whatever. uh, If they do not come, if they're a no show um, at their wedding. Uh, they've they've given people those invoices and things. And people have asked me, what do you think about that? Is it wrong? Is it bad? Whatever, whatever. I'm just going to say this. I mean, to each their own with their weddings. But for me, it's tacky. I just think that when you plan a wedding, you should have a good relationship with your guests to the point where you will know that the people that are coming will not come um, they, they will be there unless there is an actual dire emergency. Um, and if there's anything that might come up, they're going to let you know in a, in, a, in a timely fashion so that you could be able to replace that seat. Um, that's, just, that's just one-on-one to me. Um, I'm like six weeks out. And recently this week, uh, a friend of mine told me that their partner who was supposed to come couldn't come because they realized that they had misscheduled a wedding, the wedding is on the same date as our wedding. And so that person had to go to their best friend's wedding. Um, and I was the, my, one of my good friend's partner. Um, so of course they're coming to the wedding, but their significant other couldn't because they had got the, the scheduling dates wrong. So it was great that they told me this because then I was able to give a seat to someone else. So I was able to replace that seat. And whew, that was that was awesome that they were able to replace that seat. Um, I was happy about that. Uh, well, I was able to replace the seat. Like I was able to basically find the person. I found someone in my way. I have a waiting list of people that in the event that something happens or whatever, they are on standby. like a they don't know. Let me be clear. They don't know they're on the waiting list, but I know they really want to come to the wedding, if that makes sense. And I must say that over the past several weeks, because there was the, the vaccine mandate that we did and everything like that. There were people who had been telling me for months they really wanted to come and they were just like, oh, I wish I could. And I know I probably can't, but I love you anyway. And when they got that phone call from me that, hey, listen, I love you, too. Can you actually come because there's actually a vacancy? They were super excited. So I just think it's a matter of let's making sure you communicate with your people. Like I said, we're keeping this wedding very tight. It's 100 people. But everybody that is coming to this wedding, they want to come. Like they are not treating this like it's like, a oh, if I come, I come. If I don't, I don't. Something happened last minute and put put us in that kind of um, situation. So let's just start off with just making sure that you actually invite people that you actually know, that you actually like, that actually like you and your partner so that they value this enough to make it a point to come. We have made it a point also as a couple um, that we have done a lot of activities with the wedding party. I mean, we had the, the wedding shower. We have had a lot of uh, couples dinners and hangouts and cookouts and all kinds of things with a lot of our wedding folks that, so that when we come to the wedding, no one's like, we haven't hung out in a long time. Like, I don't want people to, to feel like the first time they have seen us or have spoken to us would be our wedding. That's to me weird. And I know that it's a pandemic. So like, let's, you know, we have found ways to have virtual conversations and and and, and we've done a lot of different ways to connect with people who are coming to our wedding so that every person that's coming does not feel like, you know, it's been so much distance that they can either reconsider coming or don't feel like they're connected or don't know what's going on. So that's the one thing is that we've been planning this wedding for uh, over a year and a half. And it's been a journey, as you all know, listening to the show, because I always give an update, but it's been a journey because we've been able to take that time. So I guess a pro tip I will tell people with planning a wedding and really curating that wedding guest list is that everybody that you're inviting, you should, from the time of your wedding, I mean, from the time that you, you know, you, you plan your wedding to the time in which the wedding happens, you should have made a point to see or communicate or have something of, of either a gathering or a celebration or something some type of connection with these people refreshed in that time. And I am proud to say that every single person coming to my wedding, either myself or Mr. Johnson, us together as together as a unit has had an encounter has hung out or has done something with everyone in the wedding that's coming in some type of capacity. Like no one can say, I haven't heard from you, Ernest, because You know, I haven't heard. You know, since you sent me the invitation, that's it. We haven't seen each other. We haven't had lunch. We haven't had brunch. We've done everything. So I think that is the way that we was able to, you know, see the investment and the interest of people coming and, and things of that nature. What I would also add, though, is that, listen, shit happens. So when you decide to pay for a wedding, you know, once you pay that bill, it's above you. It's a, like at that point, you just have to have faith and just hope that things come out a certain kind of way. And so, if it, you know, with my wedding, I would hope that we have 100% attendance. But listen, somebody could get sick, something could happen last minute. Life happens if two to three people, you know, end up not being a no show because something came up the very last minute. Look, it is what it is. That money already been paid, it's nothing to a boss. But I will say, though, if I lost like 10 to 15 people didn't come to my wedding and it was like, like right before I would feel some type of way, but I don't think I, I mean, like I said, I, like I said, everything, I mean, I, I I know my people, so I don't, I don't predict that 15 people would not come at this point. I think with everything we've done, I don't think 15 people going to pull out like 10% or 15% of wedding is not going to show. I don't think that's going to happen. I know that's not going to happen. Could one to three percent? Maybe. Maybe. Right. Like two to three people. Maybe. But like 15 something people. Nah. I don't see that just happening. Um, and I'm going to knock on this table right here. And that's a wooden table. OK. I, I, I want to say that. And, we, and we're going to follow up and see what happens. We're going to see what happens. It's like a it's a moment. But I, I, I trust my wedding folks. I trust my wedding guests. You know what I'm saying they might wow us. They might we might get 100 percent, atten- uh, um, you know, uh, attendance. But I will say this though that if somebody does not come or couldn't come, I hope I knew within 48 hours because I best believe best believe I'm gonna make a phone call. It's gonna be somebody's lucky day because there was people joking on my timeline on social that I you know people actually know right. Let me be clear, no strangers, but they were like making jokes like. It was a it was a it was a, a a a meme of a woman who was like fully dressed like she was going to like the red carpet Oscars or something but she was in her house watching TV and it, it, so it was like that's me they were saying about themselves so like that's me waiting to come and get that call <laughs> oh you all crack me up so well you know let's let's see let's see but I, I have faith I have faith and like I said my point well, again is that I would not spend. I would not, you know, charge people if they could not come because also everybody who's coming to my wedding um, has either already have given a gift or plan to. And so I feel like let people make up for that, quote unquote, make up for it in exchange of a gift they give it like most people who say something like, look, I can't come they're like oh but i want to know like i've had people who've already told me you know like two weeks ago three weeks ago that they couldn't come for you know different reasons that were personal um that had nothing to do with us and our relationship but just that they had something come up or there was a travel thing or a a, a particular like professional thing they couldn't get out of you know things like that and they were like oh but 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 best believe you know i got a gift for you i have a plan you know they, they are very much so forthcoming and things so like to me if a person can't make your wedding um, and they, you know, and they have class, right. They're going to find other means to, 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 to show love and show support. And you don't want to hope that there was intentional. Now I have talked to people. One of the things I've done with this wedding is that I've spoken to people who've been married. I've spoken to people who were married emphasis on the were, And I've talked to people that are also in this journey of getting married. And I'm just learning different things from people about like, just, just learning about their wedding planning situations and moments and shockers and things and you know a lot of times though some of those people told me how they were just annoyed that there were people who just didn't come and they told me things like like for example my wedding has no children except for my little brother who's 11 everyone else is is 18 or older everybody else is 18 or older it's a it's really a grown folks wedding you know um someone just said like no kids like stick to that they was like don't have kids come because when you have those plates kids are wasteful and i'm not no shade to kids but like if you got a six-year-old and you got salmon or or uh you know filet you know filet mignon on the table you know kids are not gonna respect that and i mean just think about the wastefulness of spending and food and things and open bar the bar doesn't go oh we're only gonna provide liquor we're only gonna charge it for 90 people when there's like 100 or too many people there and they they can't assess for kids i mean you just it's just all kind of things that happen when you're trying to like think about catering and things also too you know uh, unless there's like a real significant reason why younger children should be there um you know if you're an adult and you want to there's certain elements of conversation music so i just know this my wedding is a grown folks wedding like The music that will be played, you know, there will be lyrics and stuff. We're not using censored versions. Um, I don't know what's going to be said in these wedding speeches by my wedding party. But I know that I told them to be as authentic as they would like. Hopefully they do not. I mean, we're doing. So the fun fact is we're going to do the speeches during the cocktail hour before the reception. So, you know, I always, someone also told me that like, you know, people get the reception, they get a little drunk or whatever. And then the stories go on too long, but you know, you get in that cocktail hour before they have a real sip and they can have a nice little nibble of a snack and, and they're going to be in a more sober, emotional mind. So it's going to be immediately after the actual uh, ceremony. So I, I got some little, some little tricks. I don't want to tell too much of the details about how I'm how I'm the wedding. Uh, what, what we both are planning to do on certain other things like, He's got pro tips. I got pro tips. Like, you know, but there's little things that we're doing to, that we've learned from people. Like, I actually enjoyed having conversations. Like, Mr. Johnson came to me with something. We were just talking about different things, about food and when to do this. And and it's cool. Like, I, I really feel like if this gets executed really well, which I believe it will, I will definitely, anybody that's getting married, anybody that's trying to do, like, a big wedding or something like that please come to me. I feel like I could literally do a whole masterclass on it because in spite of all of the stuff going on with the pandemic, I must say that we've been very blessed to be able to um, put this together in a way that has kind of ran pretty rather smoothly. I mean, there hasn't been any crazy hiccups or anything that's really disrupted everything, but that just, you know, you just have to have an execution plan and planning. You have to know what you're going to do. And I just have so many thoughts about it. Maybe I might, who knows, do a bonus episode about weddings. I don't know. Whatever the fans will listen to. Like, whatever you do. If you all really want to do a bonus episode, want me to do a bonus episode about just wedding planning. And this will probably be, like, of course, after the wedding. Um, hit me up. Like, just be like, yo, like, I think you should do an episode. If a lot of y'all are really feeling it or interested in it, I'll probably do something to just kind of, like, unpack about planning and things. Because I've I do. I've noticed a lot of people are getting that ring during the pandemic. Everybody, everybody getting... Getting that ring during the pandemic, so, you know, I I think, you know, it's going to be quite the experience. So, things that are not the experience, Um, you know, look, Texas is always going to be Texas. You know, that is my um, home state. I was, of course, born in Chicago, but I grew up in Houston, Texas, so, you know, it's always H-Town, and, of course, I'm in Philly, so let's be clear, Philly, too, I love you. I love y'all both, okay? Uh, I spent my, my, my childhood in Houston, and I spent my adulthood in Philadelphia. Like, I came to Philadelphia when I was 18, the University of Pennsylvania, as you all know, and I've stayed ever since. So it's been 11 years later, and I'm still here. So I guess, you know, what I have seen and observed is that, let me just state that what's happening in Texas is nothing short than a complete and utter failure. Um to try to reverse Roe versus Wade, to stop people from having abortion access is terrible. And I say people because sometimes a lot of the narrative is focused on reproductive rights for cishet women. But while cishet women might reflect a large number of people impacted, uh, we cannot ignore our non-binary siblings. We cannot ignore our transgender siblings. you know, this issue is a health care issue. This issue is a race issue. This issue is a class issue. This issue is an LGBTQIA issue. This issue is an American issue. It's a human rights crisis. And dictating what women and trans people and non-binary people do with their bodies by legislation that is often predominantly cis-het men, it's a terror. It's a terror. It is a terror. It is. It's an alarming situation. And there's just no excuse. One of the things that uh, has really um, annoyed me about this conversation is that in Texas, but other places. Right. Texas will tell people that they can't they want to stop mandates that can protect people, children in schools from getting a deadly virus. But then claim they want to, you know, restrict. Access to abortion to protect unborn children. But you're not invested in protecting actual children. And to be quite honest, you're stripping the agency on one's ability to make a decision that involves their body. How dare you, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to talk about vaccines and people having the decision to choose to get a vaccine or not because of their bodies. But you somehow don't see how the hypocrisy when it comes to people having the choice to choose to have an abortion i just think it's it's again it's it's another way that people want to control people's bodies in ways that specifically impacts you know like i said women and people that can uh, reproduce and also impact healthcare issues you know the because we, we know or we maybe we don't know that there are women and others many decades ago that were trying to have, you know, not trying to have a child and was going and undergoing very fatal um, termination, you know, experiences that led to death, right? Because they didn't do it and by an actual professional certified physician and a safe Hospital that was, you know, with all the right, you know, equipment and all the right necessities. And we've heard tragic stories of what happens when people try to do either self imposed terminations or it being done um, in the hands of someone who isn't necessarily the expert, clearly, or a person that should be doing it. And so the fear can be that if the if if Texas, which is now officially made it six weeks, and let's be clear, it's not six weeks when you identify as pregnant, it's six weeks whenever your period stops, which means that it could be upwards of as soon as two weeks of actual public pregnancy where you have prior a two week window I mean it's that serious, and people don't understand like just it's a lot it's frustrating and what I cannot stand, I've been saying, because I don't, you know, conservatives are going to do what conservatives are going to do. They, they, I don't even know if the word is conservative for them anymore, you know, but these motherfuckers are going to do what they're going to do over there on the red side. But to the progressives, especially white women, white progressive women, and I'm going to put an italics on progressive because it's like, mm-hmm. This is this isn't, you know, my 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 ideals around progressiveness is centered on intersectional um, ideals that that that, you know, amplify the most marginalized within the uh, progressive community. And that's not happening. So I heard a lot of um, white progressive women saying things like, oh, my goodness, we're turning into the handmaid's tale. Excuse me. Turning into (laughs) the handmaid's tale. Really? Uh, this is Sharia law. Okay. You know, just project all your Islamophobia. Um, you know, this is a Southern thing. Oh, okay. So we're just going to act like Donald Trump is not from the East coast. Um, this is the Southern men are just a mess. So we're going to act like East coast men like Donald Trump are not the worst. Like there's so many stupid stereotypes And and I'm going to get to that because the stereotypes continue in other segments of this conversation. But there's stupid stereotypes about the South and Texas and all this. And, we know, we need to leave Texas, says the white progressives. We need to abandon Texas. We need to leave Texas. We need to annex Texas and blah, blah, blah. Y'all don't get it. Y'all don't get it. Y'all think Florida and Texas is like, that. that's it. That's where all the problems are. Listen, there's a lot of problems in both Texas and and Florida. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. You don't even know how to talk about the South because I will tell you that if you pay attention, Mississippi is has been doing shit, but y'all don't even know about Mississippi. Y'all don't even look at Mississippi. Y'all not really paying attention to what goes down in Louisiana when it's not hurricanes, right? Y- y'all are not actually looking at Arkansas, right? People sleep in Arkansas. Like, I grew up also in Arkansas. Like, my grandma, uh, my great-grandfather... You know, folks lived in Mariana, Arkansas, a small, small, small town. Okay, there was so small there was no McDonald's or Walmart. Okay, I used to spend my summers there when I was a child. Mariana, okay, Arkansas, you want to talk about those states, okay? Y'all want to just keep on talking about Florida and Texas. Anybody who's grew up in the South knows. That what goes down in Mississippi and Alabama, it trickles down to parts. Now, Texas get a lot of get a lot of smoke because it is a big ass state. Right. And they do show they ask more. But don't sleep on the subtleties of the bigoted laws. okay? that happen in these other southern states. But again, it's not the South's fault only. But I'm just saying that even progressives don't even know how to talk about the South. Eastern. okay, northern progressives don't know how to talk about the South. Right. They don't even know how to talk about the South. And as someone who grew up in the South, it's like, what? Y'all y'all so dumb. I I like when when I was growing up like my my family moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And I've been to Huntsville, Alabama a couple of times. I was in college at that point. Mamelle, Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, Mamelle, all that. Okay. Houston, of course. You know, I I've, I've been around the South. You know? And I just <laughs> I just laugh when they talk about Texas as if Texas is just like this rebellious Southern um, state that is just just the, the the horrors of all. And Florida too. It's just like, nah, y'all just looking at Greg Abbott. And I get it, Ron DeSantis. I, I get the truth. That's the thing about those type of states like Texas. Texas got governors um, that are big and, and, and high profile. So whenever Texas do something, you know, you know what they say, everything's big in Texas. It's always going to be a big deal. But but these this this type of stuff was already being talked about through these other southern states. This was already happening in in whispers. But nobody pays attention to Mississippi. No one pays attention to Alabama. No one gives a fuck about the South. And clearly the South has something to say. Fun fact if you know where that came from, where that quote came from. Another famous person from a southern state called Georgia. Andre 3000, he said at the Source Awards back in the 90s when people were sleeping on Southern Rap and sleeping on Outkast and their, you know, album turned 25 years old this year. Um, My favorite, like, group, I love Outkast. I love Outkast. But, like, he said this quote the South has something to say when they won the Source Awards because the Source Awards was very much, you know, uh heavy east coast right new york rap and, and that kind of street rap and there was a little bit of west coast of course there was the west coast interest too but the south always got slept on and so when outcast uh won um the source award people were shocked because that was like wait southern rap is making a big deal like people talk about southern rap in the 2000s but like outcast was a part of that that early push to get people looking at Atlanta, and that's how lansa became i think a big huge southern you know hip-hop Power weight in the rap game, and then of course, Houston has something to say too Swish your house, you know, Bumby, everybody else. And then of course, you know you know other states follow. but that's huh, that's a whole other conversation, but that's the point. People always sleep on the south. And I think with what's happening right now in this conversation, progressives that are saying abandon Texas, this reminds me of when the conversation was, we need to leave you know the South the red states. Um, in 2016 when Trump had won the election, people just said, we need to just run and leave because our rights were going to be taken away. Well, at the time, I lived in Pennsylvania, which was a red state, and I wasn't leaving Philly for shit. But there was a lot of people who, who pushed that narrative. And the problem is that that's exactly why you, you, you have these issues with the states because I'm trying to, well, I know there are progressives that lives in red states. We know, right? But simply leaving First of all can ev- first of all let me let me back up can everybody even can can people even afford to leave have you ever thought about the reality that people actually cannot necessarily just up and leave and relocate such a privileged thought just you know fam- years of history there are black people in Texas and Houston okay that has spent years rich family history in the deep south you think they could just abort mission to leave, you know, it was easy for me to leave Houston because my family roots is in Illinois. And I had family roots actually in, in Marion, Arkansas. So both of my my great grandparents, they lived in my grandmother was born in Marion, Arkansas, moved to Chicago. My grandfather, both of them are now deceased, was from Mississippi and then made his route to Chicago. And then uh my father, that was on my mother's side. My father's side, who he's deceased, uh his whole family from Chicago. So, you know, there was an interesting Southern, you know, Mason Dixon line thing from Chicago to get to there. But for me, you know, it was easy for me to leave Houston uh, because it wasn't that deep of family roots. But, but, but there are people who I know, my best friend whose family, they'd grown up in Houston in the South. And when he made that leap to Houston, I mean, to Philadelphia, you know, family didn't leave either. You know, family didn't never, his family doesn't want to leave Texas. You know, they don't. They, they love they love their way of life. It's not perfect, clearly, but they've made that their home for years and years and years. And so when I hear people, you know, act like the answer is just everybody leave, it's a very privileged thought. And that's not going to actually solve the solution. The solution is that we fight back. And as much as Texas has sucked lately, you know, I always think about, you know, that Senate race between Ted Cruz and Beto. Um You know, how close we were. And when I look at the presidential race and granted, Texas was still red, there was there was a lot of improvements compared to where we were, you know, four years ago. And so I think, you know, it's going to take some time, but also what needs to happen from quote unquote progressives is that they need to be getting their asses out there and engaging those areas. There is potential. Look what happened to Georgia. Okay, look what happened to Georgia. That's all I got to say. I think that Georgia is ripe for a Democratic governor. We already got the Senate. We could probably get the governorship in Georgia. So again, we didn't think that was possible. You got black mayors in Birmingham. I mean, we can do these things. It's just going to require people to stop pushing these tired ass Tropes about the South and Southern people and and, and this fucking Middle America shit and chocolate. Shit. Like we just got to stop all of that shit. We really do, progressives. We we really do, because otherwise, what's going to keep happening is that you're going to keep seeing this segregation that's not going to move. And and, and I'm not and, and I'm not saying it's all about voting because voting is important, but it's also just the way that we think and talk about these areas and also understand the the, the media threat. For starters, we have to acknowledge that Mitch McConnell, you know, is doing what he do because of the fact that he recognizes political. Now, you know, my previous, the very beginning of my podcast this season, I talked a lot about Mitch McConnell. I talked a lot about how Mitch McConnell, um, you know, in many ways, Mitch McConnell was was a Satan. (laughs) He was. okay. he definitely was. And but how he was very pivotal in some of the stuff that's happening I mean we're seeing people now um that's involved in the january um you know insurrection and everything that happened on January 6th of 2021 that how what happened at the insurrection people are starting to get charged indicted big people QAnon folks it's going down okay FBI is is somebody's going to jail tonight this looks like According to that, <laughs> song, jail, which I'm not promoting. Let me be very clear. I'm just making clear. It's people have been tweeting that one of my friends actually tweeted. They like, guess who's going to jail tonight? And I just thought it was interesting that they referenced that. Kind of annoyed that they that, listen. We should not be supporting Donda or Certified Lover Boy. But we're gonna get to that in, the, in, a, in a couple of episodes. I know y'all. I know y'all here for that too. So yeah, I, I think that we need to stop treating these Republicans like they're wizards. And just recognize that they're just playing in, they're just playing off of the strategy and the holes that progressives are not de- delving into. Period. So fight back. So speaking of tropes around the South, climate change is real. If you don't think it's real, I don't know what to tell you. Climate change is real. It is. It, it, it is. Climate change is real. I, I reuse, reduce, recycle, motherfucker. Like it is real. Um and it's not real, only in the sense that it, you know, people keep thinking about climate change is only this thing about global warming. I'm happy we're using the word climate change because I think the word global warming made people only think of climate change as a as a as a heat issue. And I'm not I'm not judging people because I just think that people just, you know, a lot of times environmental science is not something that's being taught a lot. I remember I took an advanced placement course at, at in high school, AP uh, Environmental Science. Like I really was interested in like talking about green. Gas emissions and you know all the stuff that's you know happening and all that kind of stuff, greenhouse emissions, all the, all the different things that was going on with the environment. And one of the things that people have us is that for me it took a long time wrapping my head on like how yes we are experiencing global warming, right? But how that is causing everything else. So when ice melts, sea level rises. That sea level rise can create flooding which can then lead to other issues, right, uh, with re- with weather changes and precipitation that leads to heat increase index, which means more evaporation, and then you could get tornadoes and storms. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge clusterfuck, y'all. It's real. I think one of the things that has been annoying to me, and, and this has been going on since even before Hurricane Katrina, but, like, when there is flooding in the South, the question of these people is, well, why didn't they evacuate fast enough? Why didn't they leave fast enough? Well, the answer is because shit is real and shit is is not as fast. And I remember, you know, hearing about hurricanes and things like that and like seeing some of the stuff that was going on. This is like, I grew up when Hurricane Katrina happened. And I remember when a lot of uh, New Orleans uh, residents came to Houston to live because they had to evacuate. And I remember all of the stereotypes and questions about, well, they could have just left or something like that, all this shit. Not realizing that, some of these communities were economically disenfranchised in positions where they didn't have emergency funds or resources. They didn't have ways to border up their homes. Like, there was none of that type of support because people don't wake up thinking there's going to be this big old hurricane that's going to come and, and, just, and just devastate their lives. Like, people are not prepared for that. And, I, and I, I'm going to throw some shade here. Right now, we're in the middle of a pan fucking demic that is killing tons of people, right? Over 600,000 people have died in the United States from COVID. And one could argue, why can't they just get vaccinated? Right. <laughs> right. Right. That, as it, as we're in the middle of an emergency and there are people that are still questioning now FDA approved vaccine that could save their life. And they're still not getting it, even though there's plenty of time left. And there's still time and opportunity to get it before you're in a position where you have to be hospitalized. Right. But there are people that are reluctant to get it. And so, when I see people have this quick sense of judgment of why this person is leaving, why this, that, and the third, it's like, well, what you doing right now in the middle of this pandemic? How are you living this pandemic? Are you keeping a mask on? Are you still social distancing? Are you washing your hands? Are you, you know, changing your lifestyle so that you can protect yourself from this deadly virus and these fucking variants? Are you doing that? Oh, okay, I thought so. So, you get a lot of people who are so hell bent on judging, judging, judging. And they're not taking the time. You know what I'm talking about in accordance to weather and things. they're They're not thinking. So when I saw what happened on the East Coast, okay, because Hurricane Ida was not playing. Okay, then there's what Tropical Storm Larry I heard about. Listen, they came through the South and they came through Philadelphia, Jersey, and New York. Now, as a Philadelphian now, I saw Schuylkill flooded. And the Schuylkill flooded I-76 in Philadelphia. Like, these are huge, huge highways in our city. Completely flooded. Totally flooded. Like, to the point where you can drive over uh, the bridge and everything. And you can see it like it's a huge bunch of water. Where before that water... It was supposed to be a street. So in my mind, I'm wondering to myself, when this water eventually goes down, how we feel about driving through? They said this is something that hasn't happened since the 1800s. That kind of flooding. Like that kind of massive flooding. It's wild. People are outside taking pictures and shit. Like I was on the Uber coming home. Um, and I was getting through University City, and there was a lot a of people outside. The weather was been gorgeous. Okay, let me tell you that right now, I, the weather has been flawless. It's been flawless. The weather is perfection right now. People was outside, like, eating, like, all, across the school River, like, eating ice cream cone, like, chilling, like, oh, yeah, the Schuylkill, you know, it's just flooded. You know, like, it's wow, It's wild. I just, I can't describe it. mm um, <laughs> But while that is getting done, there are people that live in a parkway that are having to relocate and things. There's people in Many who who's actually saw some major flooding. Um, you know, fortunately for over here, where I still live around, you know, I live in West Philly University area. You know, I haven't had any flooding. Um, I didn't have any of those experiences. My neighborhood is pretty much dry. Um, very grateful for that. Uh, but in Jersey, there's like footage of houses completely. Devastated, you know, and and families just completely, you know, you know, try to piece their life together. And in New York, I think the last time I looked, it was reported eight people died. Maybe there's more now, but it was around eight people that have died in on this in this area. But like in New York, not not in Philadelphia, but like in New York and whatnot. In New York, I mean, there's there's subways completely flooded. Like it looks like the best way to describe it was like Titanic. Remember where you saw like water just coming down the runway in Titanic. That's exactly what it was like. Uh watching some of those videos. There was a video with a, a big old rat that was swimming and he was looking like an otter in the water. And I thought it was a, I thought it was an otter in the pond, like in a pond. And I was like, oh shit, that is a subway. That's a, well, actually, that was someone's basement, and it was like a big old rat just, you know, canoeing his body through Aah! just to tell. It just it freaked me out. I, I can't believe I'm describing it right now. I was freaked out. I was like, oh my god. So My question was, New Yorkers didn't leave. Okay, they just tried to weather it through. And no one was asking them, why didn't they evacuate? Why didn't they leave? The the point is, is that the way that we talk about the South, the way that we describe Southerners and how they interact with weather, how they vote, how they do things. We don't keep that same energy here on the East Coast. I'm just saying. Last time I checked, Andrew Cuomo was a Democrat that was leaving because of sexual harassment issues. Just saying, in my city of Philadelphia, we didn't have more. We, we are democratically led and ran, and we didn't seen plenty of our own people get indicted and progressive. So let's not be playing the point-the-fingers game. I get that people are upset about the legislators and the laws, but the sad part is that we keep losing people that that are disgraceful based on their own improprieties with money and other shit that got nothing to do with their legislation, and we're losing people that are on the right side, le- le- legislation-wise, but suck. When it comes to actual mor- moral morality, I just, wh- what are we doing? Just, I can't. So, you know, people are criticizing Kenny, uh, Mayor Jim Kenny, who is still going on with Man in America, was talking about how Jay-Z, Beyonce, the Beebs will be there. And I'm like, well, because, you know, Beyonce is turning 40 this year. This month in September. She's 40. She's a Virgo. She's turning 40. The big four oh. I know I'm getting old because I remember Beyonce turning thirty and now before it came out ten years ago. And now we're both turning different milestones. She's turning so my <laughs> milestones galore. My mom turned fifty this month. I mean not this month, this year. She's a Capricorn. Beyonce turned is turning forty this month, and I'm turning thirty next month. Woo! All the milestones in the you know. All all the milestones. So yeah, climate change, like y'all just take it we need legislation we need laws i want us to talk about this not only when there's crisis i want us to make i wish climate change was a part of the conversation and i mean maybe it just takes people like me talking about climate change more using my platform to talk about it more i don't you know think i talk about uh climate change enough and i clearly that needs to be something that i want to do in my own space around my friends um because i i am involved i'm invested in going green and I, I do a lot of green things already you know like not having a a TV in a microwave and buying all that plastic and shit. Um, you know, I was all about car sharing carpool. This is the first time we've ever bought a car, but we didn't buy a Jeep okay, or, or a Land Rover or whatever. You know, don't buy all them big-ass cars. You know, keep it cute. Keep it simple. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, just more ways to go green and what well, I'm not going green. I mean, you know, consignment store. Maybe getting more clothes from the consignment store. Reuse, reduce, recycle. Just thinking about all the ways. Because... You know, I I do want to be able to live a full, healthy, happy life um, on this planet. And for the children and younger siblings and people behind me, I want them to. And there's still hope. The window is getting smaller. We have to make some real fast changes. But it's not hope is not all lost. So. So Little Nas X. Little Nas X's debut album, not project, but album. Montero uh comes out September 17th. Super excited to listen to it. I think I mean they just he just announced his he's got like over 15 songs. He has song with Elton John. He has a song with Meg Thee Stallion, Miley Cyrus, Doja Cat, um, you know, Rich Harlow. And the marketing has been phenomenal. Uh, Lil Nas X just finds new ways to shock, to troll his haters, to tell his haters that you're not going to silence me because we need some... Like, Lil Nas X is a revelation. It's, he's a dream to so many queer people like myself, black queer people like myself, just queer artists in general. Like, I don't even know any, like, that many white queer artists that has had the type of outspokenness that Lil Nas X has had. I mean, you know, there was Boy George, George Michael, I think. You know, Adam Lambert. We can never forget Adam Lambert. I love I me mean, some Adam Lambert. I love his music. Um, you know, Elton John. You know, you've had a couple, right? But and Melissa Etheridge, you know, Tracy Chapman, I believe. Um, but the way that Lil Nas X has penetrated the charts... The fact that he is young and he's out and he came out in the midst and early stages of his career and he's been able to be super successful so early, but seems to be you know at, at twenty two years old to be in control of his career, his, his 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 image, his thoughts, his creativity, and it's working for him. It's 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 phenomenal. I mean, his album rollout in a pandemic has been nothing but a masterpiece. I mean, his rollout has been better than all of your faves. All of your faves. He's had the best album rollout, okay? I mean, the music videos have been on point, the visuals. He's made Saturday Night Live appearances. He's made award show appearances. He's done it all. And he just keeps killing it. And so the most recent thing he did was he announced he was pregnant. And for fans who've been following us, X, he's teased out things. He's not pregnant clearly, but he jokes around about gender and expression and body and things like he one time had uh boobs uh like fake prosthetic boobs he had and people thought they were real it was like crazy and then now he came out with this whole pregnancy shooting where he just was laying there pregnant and was announcing his baby montero which is his project and it was like metaphorical of course and the artwork was crazy and he um you know people had picked up on the joke and ran with it which made it even more hilarious. Uh, people Magazine did, because they always like baby exclusives and stuff, so they did it, they did it for him. <laughs> and then they also, um, Mari was like, you are you are the father. And I was just like, wow, Mari Povich. Which, fun fact, Mari Povich is probably my favorite Penn alum. So Mari Povich went to the University of Pennsylvania, and people always ask who's your favorite Penn alum, or whatever, because they're like John Legend, and Tory Burch, and Elon Musk, and Donald Trump, Yo, right? And then you have people like Mari Povich, so I always like I always say Mari, and they're like, "What Mari?" What I'm like, "Yeah, he did." Annaberg School of Communication, that's why I studied communication. Got my bachelor's, um, but yeah, he's a Penn alum, and I met Mari at Penn, and I got a picture with him, and I got him to tell me I'm not the father, and I did the huge shock dance, like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Like I would just do it, like the whole shock dance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I met Mari. Uh, fun fact and, and so I, I will tell people that story every time like i have met the man himself so that was a fun story very cool just just a cool moment but yeah when i see mari, mari was on twitter and um the results are in <laughs> i just can't i just i know the show is problematic in its ways and things but listen Mari, like i don't know i, w- I would that would be something i would like to like actually follow with the interview because he's It's just interesting that show and just his whole, you know, he's married to Connie Chung. I mean, he's he's lived a life. That man has lived a life. All right. But anyway, Lil Nas X is having fun. And of course, Boosie, Boosie Badass, you know, I and, you know, Mr. Independent. (sighs) Every time, every fucking time, it's like a cue, it's like an alert. I feel like he has Lil Nas X on Google Alerts. Like, clearly, he gets notifications on Twitter when Lil Nas X tweets. It's, it's something up right now. I don't know what... I mean, it's not even I don't know what... I, I have ideas, right? I have thoughts. I'm going to share them. So, Boosie gets up on, um, you know, following this news. People kept saying, wait till Boosie see it. Like, everybody kept egging on Boosie's reaction, that, you know, when this happened on Thursday. And in my mind, I'm looking like, damn, it's like to a point where you could predict. I say, please, Boosie. I just like, I just, Boosie it's like, don't say nothing. Don't say anything. Just shut up. Just, just don't, don't engage. That was just my head it was like, it's not like, what, what, what else can you say? We know how you feel. We know what you think. He doesn't give a fuck. We don't give a fuck. Just shut up. Cause all you're doing is just inflicting harm, which I guess is his intention. So Boosie badass, right? Uh, gets on at like around 6 in the morning, 5 to 30 a.m., depending on what, what, what your area code, zip code, whatever your, your time your time zone is, and gets his ass up there and starts on Twitter and talking about, you know, he, he gets a sense that Lil Nas X is going to give, you know, basically fellatio to one of his backup dances, um, or whatever, hashtag protect. Like he puts out this, homoerotic fantasy about Lil Nas X. I'm just sitting here looking like, what? 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 Most people on a Friday come from the mindset of, you know, I, I want to be, you know, I want to be, uh, you know, I, I hope everybody having a good Friday. Happy Labor Day weekend. You know, something, you know, not waking up with, with 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 Lil Nas X in your mind. Like you woke up in the morning thinking about Lil Nas X. You just woke up and violence. What? So... The, th- the thing is, for people who have been following this, and I've talked about this before, Boosie has an infoluminous ex like some of these other people do. It's an obsession, y'all. It's an obsession. Um, he went on Breakfast Club, which is like the worst fucking show right now out there next to Rush Limbaugh and everybody else, right? He was on there as a guest where Angela Guy, Charmaine the God, DJ Envy was trying to have this dialogue with him about his homophobic past while trying to also give him a scapegoat for why he might be the way he is and, and and of course gays like me was looking like, "Nah, that's not how that motherfucking shit works." But, you know, they decide to try to create this this this, you know, try to unpack him and and talk like like they give a they facilitate conversations about homophobia that are unsafe, un, un uninformed, ignorant and does more harm than good. It's like watching a bunch of straight people have a conversation about who you are and your identity with a person that wants to do everything in their power to demolish and destroy your identity for an entire world stage of people that can chime in and not have the right information or facts. They don't point to resources. They don't tell people, oh, you know what, actually, Boosie, that's wrong. Uh, but actually, Boosie, you should not come on the show because. We know you're not going to learn from us because Boosie went on that fucking show and then what does Boosie do now, right? So it's like this man is threatening to, to beat the shit out of him or beat his ass and things like that, you know? He's he's done a lot. He Every time Lil Nas X breathes, this motherfucker has something to say. And it's just like leave this man alone. Leave him alone. Boosie is, I believe 38 years old, who'll be you know, he's 38. Lil Nas X is 22. Why are you bothering him? Why are you bothered? What happened to turn your TV the fuck off? What happened to just look the other way? What happened to ignore something that you don't see it for? You know, like, why are you coming at this man? And the way that he is, it's sexual harassment. Let's just just call it for what it is. It's sexual harassment. He is literally sexually harassing um, Lil Nas X. He is. Like, you're at this point publicly... Trying to intimidate this man's sexuality. With sex. This is sexual harassment. Like he's literally targeting him in an unwarranted way. Lil Nas X does not want Lil Boosie or whatever to be talking to him. He's not giving him any type of interest. And this man is coming at him in many ways sexually. It's sexual harassment. It is. And as somebody who is also black and queer who have dealt with cishet men huh, like Lucy, that, you know, say they are cishet. I know what this is. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've lived it. And many people like that are queer men, like me specific black queer men, we have seen it, where we are environments where we are just doing us. Okay? And let me be very clear to the people out here. Who are so dumb to say things like, well, Lil Nas X is, is, is bringing it on himself. Lil Nas X keep doing this, doing that. Let me tell you something. Whether you... See, this is you, you respectable motherfuckers. Let me tell you y'all something. Whether we are, like, living our truth out loud with a thousand rainbows and music videos of us kissing other men on stage or doing things like that. Whether we are as sexually, you know, liberated as Lil Nas X or whether we are, pu- are quote, unquote, prudes and chilling... It doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter because they will still target us. I remember when I was younger and I was definitely not, you know, as outwardly queer or expressive as I am today. And I remember younger boys, when I was younger, like teasing me or, or, or talking about me or just pressed about trying to figure out if I was gay or quote unquote gay. Why? And just pressing, 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 even though I wasn't necessarily talking to them or engaging with them in any type of way that was disgusting or about my sexual orientation. And you know this, we know this, we see people at jobs and work, right? Where there are people living their lives, mind their business. And there's gotta be a dude somewhere at the job. that's like, Hey, that dude looked funny. You think he's funny? It's like, why do you care? Cause that dude clearly isn't, is ambiguous enough to you that you don't even know for a fact, but you just feel like you have to know why do you want him? Do you, do you, are you, are you curious? Like what did the fuck, why does it matter? I can't tell you how many times I've had straight people who I'm not friends with, that I don't fuck with at all, that will come to me and ask me if someone else is gay, or if someone else's, you know, might be questioning why. And I, you know, I used to when I was, you know, younger, would think, oh, this was like a, a legitimate question. But then you get to a point where it's like, wait a minute, you're asking that to potentially cause harm, to 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 potentially do what? What are you gonna do with that information? Why do you want to know? Right. You know, and, and I, I used to push back and say, why you want his number? And people laugh because I'm just like, why do you care? And, and why do we accept that? And there's people in our community, I'm talking to queer people in our community that are pick me's where they think that by aligning themselves with 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 homophobic, toxic ass straight people, that they think that somehow they're going to get some level of respect because they're not out here with their ass out, quote unquote. Let me tell you something. Whether you have your ass out or your ass club covered, they're still coming for us. Our respectability will not save us because even as black people, as just black people, without sexual orientation in the conversation, we know that whether we are in a suit and a tie, we're gonna get fucked with because we're black. Whether we're in a do-rag or, or, or Timberland boots, we're still gonna get fucked over because we're black. Like it doesn't matter to a racist, the same way it doesn't matter to a homophobe. A homophobe does not care whether Ernest Owens has two degrees. And it's never showed their ass all out uh, in the streets versus whether Ernest decides to do it. They don't care. I get called, I'm in a full fucking suit with a tie and a suit on on my Instagram, Twitter, uh, Avies, right? And giving you clean cut haircut, you know, not all of the things that are quote unquote passing or respectable. And because I speak out and speak up, in the same ways that Lil ex X do without necessarily being hypersexual, which is his right and he's free to do it. It's, you know, I'm my own person. Like, I do my own thing. I'm not judging. I want everybody to be safe and expressive how they want to be. I still get targeted based on my sexual orientation. I still get people that anytime they insult me, they can't call me dumb. They can't call me stupid, right? They can't call me ugly, right? They can't call me any of those things but they will go after my sexual orientation. They will target me in that kind of way. And I think that says a lot about Lil Nas X, right? Because Lil Nas X, you know, he's got a successful career. He's got talent. He looks good. He's confident. The only thing they're coming at Lil Nas X about is his sexuality. They can't even... Like, I don't even see conversations like... Critiques about Lil Nas X like, Lil Nas X's music can use some improvement. He needs to evolve as an artist. He needs to blah, blah, blah. No one's talking about his creativity or coming at his artistry or his rap or any of those things. All they're doing is coming at his sexual orientation. And that's what it feels like to be a black queer man in America or in society, right? Is that you could have all of the things. You could check off all the boxes. But the one thing they're going to be fixated on is, this, is your sexuality. Whether you put it out there, quote, unquote, or you don't. I'm telling you, it it doesn't matter to a bigot. And I just want straight people, queer people, I want everybody to understand that. Like, we got to stop thinking that there are ways that we could reduce our harm from bigots. We can't. The same way you talk about women. Women, whether a woman wears a short skirt or a long skirt, that does not give her the right to be sexually harassed or raped or anything like that. We keep thinking. We keep buying into this ideal. That somehow we have the agency to protect ourselves from people without fucking, fucking them the fuck up. And what I mean by that is, it doesn't have to be physical violence. But the fact that we have to push back against these institutions and these mindsets proactively. We cannot coexist in a space with bigots, with, with racists, with with sexists, with misogynists, with anti-black folk. We cannot Coexist with those people because when we do think we can if we tolerate that in our space what we're doing is we're co-signing a check for our harm and it does not matter whether you wear a suit or a shirt off it doesn't matter whether you talk with, a, with some slang or proper quote-unquote white English it does not matter to a bigot the only way to protect yourself from bigotry it's to defeat bigotry. It's not to treat it like you could coexist with it. And people like The Breakfast Club will like to think that this is a difference of opinion. But for people like me who have seen and have known black trans women who have been murdered, who have known queer people who have been also murdered and attacked and harassed and bullied, who have committed suicide and have done other things of that type of harm. This is a matter of life or death. This is not a matter of opinion. And only privileged people can treat these issues like it's a matter of opinion or viewpoint rather than life and death. So leave him the fuck alone. And fuck Boosie. So. Drake. Drake, Drake, Drake. I I have so many things to say. This is the prime talk of the podcast. No, Drake, Drake, Drake. Delusional Drake. Delusional on so many fronts. Delusional, Drake. I, I I have thoughts. And like Meryl Streep said, in doubt, I have doubts. I have thoughts about what the fuck is going on right now with Drake. Because as you all know, I've been, the, I've been in the tabloids. I've been in the press. I've been in the blogs. Everybody's coming, talking to me. You know, the Twitter is going off. I'm in the shade room for a second time this week. Um, you know, I'm in all the different, you know, blogs are talking, you know, and Ah, it's always fun, funny. Um, let me just say that. It's always funny. Um, so what did I say with Drake? Because I got it, I got it. You know, I've been thinking about this all day. So Drake is right now, arguably the most high profile commercial rapper of our time. I didn't say he's the GOAT. I didn't say he's the greatest of all time. I think that would arguably go to Jay-Z. Jay-Z isn't really doing music as much, but when we're talking about like at right now, he's more into his capitalism, his gross capitalism and all that kind of empire shit. But we're talking specifically about Drake. Drake right now, as an actual performing artist in hip hop that's actively putting out music consistently, that's really, you know, focused in the music sphere. He is really arguably the most commercially popular rapper. I don't think critically acclaimed. I think that goes to Kendrick Lamar, who actually I prefer over him clearly. But I would say that if you're talking about the the Beyonce of hip hop right now, Drake is the Beyonce of hip hop. Drake is the Taylor Swift of hip hop. Uh, not talking about quality. I'm just talking about the massive appeal. And honestly, I wouldn't even say Drake is the Beyonce of hip hop or Drake is the Taylor Swift of whatever. I would just say Drake is Drake. You know, Drake is 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 is, is it's what it's Rihanna. Drake, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Gaga, maybe in the conversation. Like, there's just some people that like Drake as a as a black male artist. He is um, he is the 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 rising black male artist right now. I, I mean, The Weekend is great, but I'm just saying that when you're talking about this, the 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 way that he can mobilize his fans to listen to his music, Drake is is in that power. No dismissal. Drake has broken records time and time again. Drake can be a meme. Drake can be a caption on Instagram. Drake has a, a cultural zeitgeist that is inar- enormous. Even though I personally, don't, you know, I think he's overrated. That doesn't matter when it comes to talking about power. And I think sometimes people don't, you know, we have to, I mean, for myself, as someone who's writing a book about power, pretty much cancel culture, I look at, I can have these conversations and separate taste from reality when it comes to what that is because taste and power do not always you know go together. Sometimes it do, sometimes it doesn't. For Drake it it doesn't necessarily. But impact, cultural influence, impact, he's there. He's a he is a tastemaker. Even though I personally don't like his aesthetic as much, I think it's a little overrated. I think it's deep it's dredging toxic masculinity as he described his recent album. I find I can't deny that there's a lot of people that now want to do the singing and rap thing because he does it. And sometimes I wonder is he a rapper or is he a rapper half the time? I think he's more of a singer in songs than a rapper. But regardless, he sells records and people really like him. So, you know, it, it's it you know it's it's a lot going on uh, with his popularity, his ego, um, and everything like that. And I think that that's you know what's you know that's a, that's hip hop, you know. Um, And and that's gonna be you know, um, a thing I guess. So I just want to I just want to set the set the 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 situation about just saying who Drake is and the power that he has because I think when we try to ignore people's power, then we oftentimes simplify the impact or reduce the impact or the threat that they hold to a particular issue. So we have to let people understand. The importance of power. Because what happens when I get annoyed with, with stands, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about stands too, is that they do this thing where whenever there's good news about their favorite artist, then their favorite artist is the best thing in the world. But whenever there's bad news about the artist, then it's, you know, they're just like us. You know, people make mistakes. And it's like, well, no, that's not the same. Because when they do it, it has an impact in a way that's bigger than us. Right. All people, all men, women, all humans were created equal, but not all humans have power equally. And so when you have power, there's a responsibility. Uh, There's an expectation of responsibility. You know, we have to be able to look at all of that. And that's the that's the bigger issue. That's the biggest issue. So. Where's Drake now? I guess, what does Drake think? Let, let's get into this album, just for sidebar, because I did want to talk about this and then other things happen and I do think this is important. So, how did Drake get... Why is Drake's album a big deal? What do we think is going to happen on the charts? What What do we know about this new album? Drake's new album is called Certified L- Lover Boy. The album has been a long-anticipated album. It's one of the biggest... It's the most highly-anticipated albums of 2021, right? People... Have been waiting for this album for a minute. He kept delaying it. It's the pandemic's fault. It's all of that kind of stuff. He's 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 been delaying it. Uh, this follows all off after Scorpion, which was a big, big, big major uh, album. Had two major big, well, multiple number ones, I think. But, you know, had lots of uh, buzz, chart toppers, got nominated for album of the year. Um, it had a lot of songs on the damn album. And, again, having all of this buzz and this energy um he broke some spotify records so he has the highest one day uh streams for an album um out of everybody and there was often this conversation about drake streams and album sales and this kind of stuff and donda uh with Kanye's recent album and the beef between them and stuff and i just want to tell people that all of this numbers, stuff about album sales and listens in the new era does not have the same weight as it used to do back in the day. What I want to tell people is that there's been a lot of people saying, remember when Kanye West and and, and 50 Cent had dropped out albums in 2007. So we're talking about something that was 15 years ago. 50 Cent and uh, Kanye West had like a, they, they had a competition. They dropped their albums out on the same date. 50 Cent had Curtis, which was his third album, and Kanye dropped Graduation, which was his second studio album. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, that was his third. That was Kanye's third. Yes, it was Kanye's Graduation. Of Kanye's third uh, album. Sorry, Late Registration was the second. The first one was yeah. So yes, let me get my order together. This was so. This was a fair fight. Like I wanted to remember the fair fightness of it all because I was like, who dropped what? It still wasn't. I mean, I won't go there with fair fight, but they well. Kanye dropped his third album. 50 Cent dropped his third album, Curtis and uh, Graduation. So when this album came out, um, there was a college dropout. There was late registration. There was Graduation. 50 Cent had Get Rich or Die trying. Um, He had The Massacre. And then he had Curtis. So they both dropped their third studio albums against each other in 2007. Uh, Kanye beat him. But Curtis sold really well too. But these were physical albums, and the measuring of sales were based on like largely, you know, how many people paid for the album. Where we are now in this industry is something very different. We're in an era now with music where people are 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 getting multiple streams. Um, streaming has manipulated albums, and you know, it's been a lot of stuff going on with the albums and. It's a lot of it has to do with streaming manipulation. So let's just let me just bring this all the way back. So in 2000 and a couple years ago, basically these subscriptions, right, you know, uh, Google Play. Um, which is why I'm a big I'm a big fan of YouTube Red. Now, it's no longer Google Play, it's YouTube Red. So I don't use Apple Music. I'm not crazy about Apple Music in that kind of way. I mean, I appreciate Apple Podcasts. Thank y'all for listening. But I don't really get into, like, I don't have a Google Music subscription. Or I'm mean, sorry, Apple Music subscription. So shout out to Apple, Apple Podcasts and all that. But I don't have a subscription uh, for myself uh, for that. Just because, you know, I, you know, would rather have, um you know the stuff i have you know the things i already have and i'm really big on that so you know that's that so one of the things that's been um you know interesting lately seeing some of the way that we talk about charts is that let's just be clear for starters you know people don't really understand streaming most people buy their don't buy their albums you know they don't we don't buy albums anymore and i think that's that's the first thing you have to understand we don't buy albums anymore so billboard you know, tracks a lot of the current sales. And for people to understand Billboard, Billboard is like basically people that tell you your songs number one, number two in the charts. So they track, you know, a lot of the sales by streaming equivalent albums, S-E-A. That's what they call SEAs, And this is calculated by people adding up all of the audio song streams from an album. So basically you don't have to buy an album anymore, but if you listen to it a certain number of times or listen to certain singles or whatever off the album, then that will still count as an album sell for your favorite artists because I don't remember the last time I actually bought a CD like a physical CD but I'm helping you know uh Taylor Swift or helping Lord or helping Billie Eilish or helping The Weeknd whomever with their sales by when I constantly stream their album and their music so um according to chart data premium streaming totals are divided by uh, about close to 1300 streams And free streaming totals are divided by 3,800. So basically, if you stream an album that you bought, like premium streaming totals, like if you bought uh, an album and you streamed it, it's divided by 1,300. But if you are getting it for free off a subscription or something like that, it's around 3,800. So thus, 1,300 premium streams or 3,800 free streams from the same album is equivalent to one album unit. Okay. So, in other words, if you're a big-name artist, this isn't hard for them to get for streams. So, like, basically, 1,300 streams. If you stream somebody's album 1,300 times or, I'm sorry, 1,250 times, you have given them one album unit according to, like, you know, the way that Billboard does their chart tracking. Now, I know, damn, what well, I haven't streamed. Well, I have probably streamed Folklore that many times uh, by now. So I probably have given, you know, um, you know, I probably have given Taylor Swift uh, a, a total album unit towards her thing. Or you could simply just buy the album, the actual physical album, and that would also count as well. So if you buy the album or the, the streams would help. So there's often ways. So the free streams. Are things like YouTube. So if you YouTube, if if you're a fan, you stream. But if you see that the if you buy the album stream or you do something premium with it or a subscription or something like that's paid, it's it, it helps the artist. So let me be clear about this. What has made this all the more slick is how this has changed the way artists make music. A lot of them are making their albums with shorter length songs, but with more tracks, so they can get the fans to stream more. Because again, the more tracks an album have, the more possible streams. The shorter the length of the track, the easier to stream. So in other words, that's why you're seeing a lot of albums right now. Like Migos, right? Will give you an album with over 20 fucking songs. A lot of them songs are short as hell, but that's because they want you to quickly play through the whole album and get as many of them to chart the Billboard. And, and the Billboard, that, and let's say the Billboard Hot 100, which also then grants them even higher placement on Billboard 200. So let me explain the manipulation there. So with the Billboard Hot 100, that tracks only singles, like just individual singles. And I want to be clear, because a lot of people don't know this, but you, which, when you're tracking a single of a song, a record to a song, um, or a single, right? You want to, let's say, you know how like like Lizzo wants to have a number one hit or Lil Nas X 2? What they do is they capitalize off for the streaming. So the streaming from YouTube is also a part of the package. In addition to the streams off of premium sites and things. All of these streams is measured and counted to, to measure out who had the number one song. So that is why you see a lot of artists nowadays put out songs with music videos at the same damn time. Because they want to maximize all of the streaming possibilities. That's why it's it's, it's streaming on youtube with a lyric video that is why you get a lyric video that is why you get a music video that's why you get all of that so enticing graphics will make will count as a stream for the song so now they're counting music videos as a part of units of the single itself so that's why you see a lot of artists making very bold huge videos because they know that that video will be popular and people keep re-watching it and listening to it and talking about it and that will help them with their streaming to get this on the chart. And in a way, I will say, I think that's good because there was a period in time of time where music videos were trying to be trash. Like, there was a time where a lot of artists was getting lazy with music videos, not seeing people putting out good visuals. Now, I feel like there is an event around music videos again. Even though it's not as epic as the MTV days, it's a big deal now. Like, now, like, I rem- I've, I've stayed up till midnight a couple of times to see Cardi B drop a new, her video. Like, I remember wh- where I was when WAP came on during the pandemic. I was, like, waiting. And I was, like, in the living room, just waiting for the countdown to see WAP. And it was epic. And that's why WAP debuted at number one and killed the charts. Um, also, too, I forgot this detail, TikTok streams also count. So that's why Meg Thee Stallion got to number one with Savage because the streams from all them TikTok replays of Savage also helped her with the challenge. Because remember, there was not a Savage music video. She did like a little audio video, but she didn't do a music video. And people were trying to figure out, well, how did it do successful? It was a TikTok challenge. Could you imagine if she gave us a video with Beyonce, a TikTok challenge, and a fucking you know, single at the same time? That would have just killed the charts. So, so Meg, you know, has been able to benefit off of that, uh, the, the streaming. So it's Cardi. That's why you're seeing a lot of people get number ones faster. That's why there's more number ones debuting faster than before. Because a long time ago, it was like whoever was a really major popular artist or had a really, really catchy song, it was whatever propelled people to spend their money. Nowadays, people don't have to spend money to look at it. You could get hate viewers, you get hate watchers, uh, people just would just you know, streaming or whatever, uh, Just Cuz and Hate Watch It because it's free. It's free to watch stuff now. It's free to hate watch stuff now. Uh, And that fuels the way we do it. And you know, you can thank people like Rebecca Black who had that song Friday. Remember song Friday, which was a hit, but not really a hit. But streaming off of that song, um, Harlem Shake, songs like that, that was when people realized that there's value in streaming, uh, counting streaming as a part of it. Or like size... um, you know, uh, Gundam style. All of those types of things play a role in driving up traffic and hype around a single or a song. So that's why you see those hits. Now, let's go back to albums. The Billboard 200 measures album sales. So if you have some hot singles off of your album, that's propelling your album to do good. In addition to the streams, everything else so a good example is taylor swift like when taylor swift dropped evermore uh when she dropped um you know folklore she dropped the music video to the single to that song on the same day she dropped the whole album so she had the height of the album streams and she had the height of the single streams and all of that combined uh drove up it to be to debut at number one and be and both of those singles debuted at number one so that was that was strategic and, and, and a genius marketing plan. I mean, everybody's doing that. So why does this matter with Drake? And why does this matter with the current conversation? The person who's probably have mastered this the most is Drake. Drake was on this and he's he he's mastered it in a lot of his music and the stuff that he's done. Um, when you look at a lot of the stuff, the little singles he's done, the little dances he's been caught up in and all that. He has mastered that, but also with albums in a way. So Scorpion, like I said, had the highest one day stream record um, on Spotify. People are trying to see if most likely Drake will break that record again because Donda, Kanye's album, did the same thing. And that album came out um, earlier this week. So Kanye's Donda is prepared to be Number one next week, but Drake will be the following week. So they didn't actually beef against each other. To be clear, Donda had 27 songs. Okay. Scorpio had 25 songs. So clearly, having that many songs streaming that many times is going to secure a number one album. secure a high charting placement. a good example of that is like chris brown chris brown had a his like his last album which i don't even know what is his i don't know it could have been his other album i don't even listen to his music anymore i mean clearly it's been a while but like his album had 40 fucking singles on it or something like 40 something songs just off of his fan base alone and all them streams he was able to stay in the top 10 on the billboard charts for a long ass time because The fans kept streaming the music um, and and he just stayed in the in the zeitgeist. So his album just stayed on the charts for longer than stayed on longer than people would have expected based off of all of those songs and him juicing up the streams and then also having music videos. So he, he played the game really well. I think that that's why a lot of these artists are also obsessed with features. Because again, some fans of the original artists, right, might only listen to a good 75% album, but with features, artists can maximize the support of other people's fan base. And that's just straight math and manipulation, y'all. I think that honestly, in this day and age, an albums really can't compete with each other the same way because of the the, the numbers game. The only way that Drake and Kanye could have competed against each other if they wanted to do that shit, was they would have to do it, they would have to drop their albums at the same time and the same day. With the same number of tracks. And to even get even go further, I would even argue the same number of features and the same time length of songs so that it could somehow flesh itself out. That would be what I would say. That would be like the only way because there's so much manipulation with the analytics of streaming that you can't get a fair shake any other way, right? So Drake has an album with 21 songs. Kai has this album with 27. I mean, Maybe, you know, if you, com- if you see the compete competition, maybe Drake would have outdone him based on popularity alone. I mean, look, I mean, I don't know, right? But I think the most fair way to do measurements at this point in time would be simply to do by selves. So if we measured how many people buy, but at, this, at the same time, that's even harder in some cases because certain fan bases of artists are more traditional versus others are not. So you just don't, you know, there's really no way to compete. Uh, because streaming and technology has ruined it. But the older days, there was it was it was a lot more simpler than how complicated music is now. So I say I would to say that Drake will have another one album, not because it's a great album, critically acclaimed, but because of how technology works and curiosity and users and shit being free or not free or whatever. It's just bound to happen now. That's why it's so easy to predict the success of albums now. Um, you can even predict how many they're going to sell based on uh there's there's analytics on habits, shopping habits, stream habits and patterns and seasons and year times. And there's so many ways to, to predict like how many based on just the yield. So it's easy for us to know that Kanye's album will be number one this upcoming week. Um And what's going to be the big question is will Drake break his own record? Like will Drake have the all time one day? I would say he most likely will. But a fun fact that kind of lets you know that quality sometimes overrides quantity. Taylor Swift's album Folklore was the third highest um, one-day debut for an album was folklore. And it had 16 songs compared to Drake's 25 and Kanye's 27. Like roughly less than like 10 songs compared to these other guys. And she got him in third place, which shows that her album probably averages more streams per per single than their songs. So, you know, you can play a game by having more is less or less is more. Just take that for what it's worth. So. onto the album itself. So I listened to the album. um, It was long as hell. It was was long long to be a movie. I didn't listen to Donda. I just can't with Kanye. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to listen to, you know, I wanted to listen to, um, I guess, what? I wanted to listen to Donda. I wanted to listen to... Uh, I didn't want to listen to Donda. I'm sorry. I I wanted to listen to Certified Lover Boy. I I. It's so hard to just say that like as an album title, like Certified Lover Boy. Like I don't know. People have titles, so CLB is what people have called it too. I guess that's the cishet way of not having to say Certified Lover Boy all the time. But I don't care. I'll I'll call it whatever. But they'll call it CLB. And one of the things that have been really huge about the album is this how many people were just expecting it to finally be a classic. Cause the rumor on the block is that Drake doesn't have a classic album. Some people say the album is, um, nothing was the same. I, I don't really, I, am not a crazy Drake fan, but I think for me, I listened, um, because it was, a, it, it felt like a cultural moment, you know, like it, you know, as a millennial, people were like, look, we got to see what this album's about. It's a moment. Everybody's up. It was just like that thing where you just had to listen. And so when I listened to the album and I wanted to go through it because I feel like you can't critique something unless you go through it. Now, for me, my thing with Donda is like, I'm not going to get into Donda because I'm just like, I'm not here to critique that album in a, in a full thrust way because kind of just, just such a problem to me that I'm just not even going to give it all of that. I just was like, nope, I just don't like it. I don't like him. Fuck him. I, I don't know if the album is great. I don't know what the album is giving. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, it it's it's a lot of uh, games and stuff like that um, that I think people are playing um, a lot. So you know, I think that's you know, um, you know, one of those things um, that always gets me um, about fandom. Um and things like that, that you know, yeah. I I I listened to the Drake album again. One because I wanted to see what all the hype was about. I did want to hear it to sense to, to figure out what's going on, what's happening. You know, because I feel like all the Instagram captions are gonna reference Drake lyrics, and it was experience. So when I was listening to it, for starters, the album's long as fuck. Just off the riff 21 songs i knew what he was doing he's trying to get a streaming number one he's gonna get it that's easy uh a lot of the songs had some interesting features but pff, that's just start there um the, the first half of the album uh, the, first of all i didn't have to have that many songs but there was that moment when i was like what's that moment where i was like listening to it? i was like um I'm never going to listen to this album again. And that was when I was listening through the whole album, the first rhyme. And then it came across that TSU, when I was listening to it, there's a song called TSU off the album. And I think that's referencing Texas Southern University, which is an HBCU in Texas because Drake has an infatuation with te- Texas, uh, specifically Houston. But he he loves, he loves Texas. He loves Houston. He just loves Houston. And for reasons why is because he has an infatuation with strippers in Houston. And it's just a thing. So he goes into this whole um, li- rapping and, and lyrics and things and then he samples a song called Half on a Baby, which is by R. Kelly. R. Kelly's a songwriter on that song. Half on a Baby. And Anybody remember R. Kelly? You know, we already know R. Kelly's on trial. We know he's a predator. We already know this about R. Kelly. I'm sitting here looking like you you you're giving R. Kelly a songwriter. You're sampling R. R. Kelly and a song. What 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 in 2021? So I was floored by this. I was completely floored. I was Yelling. I was angry. I was. Emotions was flaring. Emotions was flaring. I was so upset. And um Yeah, I was hurt. I was I was so hurt. Um one because I was just like, I mean, you know, people are problematic, but you're just like, wait, 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 what? And here's the thing. I I was never like into Drake, like in all of the ways. I knew some things about him, whatever, you know, but it was just like, this is wild. And for me, it was like, where is this coming from? And then on Twitter, other people was talking about it. And then you're like, they're like, hey, Drake has a past of like, trying to talk to underage girls of being creep or being groomy and being weird. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 what? And I remember hearing whispers, but I didn't know there was any, like, I didn't know if there was any, like, any, you know, people say things about people, but there was no, like, I didn't know any articles, or any major stuff. I had heard some things um, around Millie Bobby Brown that he was messaging her, but but they were trying to frame it like, oh, they were just, it was just a friendly thing. But I was like, mm, side eye. Then there was, like, I think he did the same thing with Billie Eilish. And that was kind of talked about. But it was like they, people kept being like, oh, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're a fan. It's a fan thing. Okay. But the thing was, though, is that I didn't realize until I Googled. And, and, of course, people share information fast on the internet. That there was a 2010 video where in which he was, um, there was a 17-year-old girl who shared her age and was on stage and he is fondling her, kissing up on her, dancing with her, and 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 knows that he shouldn't even be doing any of this, but is doing this on, on stage of the show in 2010. And I'm sitting here looking like, what? You know, like, this is wow. Like, Drake is 34 years old. So, Drake was... He turns... Actually, Drake turns 35. um, You know, he's a Scorpio. No surprise there. But he turns 35. And this must have happened when he was like 24, 25 years old. And he's doing this as a a 17 year old girl. And, you know, people was connecting those dots. Like, this man has definitely done some things that raises some red flags and you know, it's, it's, it's wild. It, it's definitely wild. It was, it definitely raises some red flags. So people were just like, hold up, what's going on? So when I saw that with with my own eyes, and I saw that situation, um, it was, it was, it was a lot. And so seeing him do this thing with R. Kelly, you know what I'm saying? Seeing him, you know, have this situation where R. Kelly feature him on his song Um, that really got me, you know, that really took me for a loop, especially given the fact that he's a big fan of Aaliyah, uh, Drake is. Drake has the tattoo of Aaliyah. He also, at one point in time was entertaining his thought of being on some unreleased songs or something like that. Like he had a real big Aaliyah fetish for a period of time at the earlier years of his career. And it was even people that was like, yo, you're doing too much. Um, and it was wild. It was it was wild to see that. And you know, at that time, I was like, okay, he's a big fan. He likes you know, he likes her, you know, whatever. So for him to have included R. Kelly, that was intentional. I'm sorry. Like everyone's trying to play. Listen, if you either you are an artist that's intentional or you're a, a, a puppet. Drake is no puppet. Drake is a is is a grown ass man um, that has full. I mean at this point in the game he's a huge multimillionaire that has immense wealth. this man doesn't have to this this man has creative control, so he is intentional about the stuff that he wants to do in his music if you if you want to be you know that guy or whatever like that um you know by all means you know if you're trying to be that um that type of guy who wants to play with fire, if you want to be this artist that has so much influence and all these things, that you have to sometimes hold yourself accountable to the to type of artistic, creative decisions you make. There's there's no way that he did not know, is what I'm trying to say. I just hate how folks are so obsessed with celebrities that they try to divorce them from any type of accountability. Like, Drake was fully aware that in a songwriting credits, this would come out. I don't know if he's... Again, these guys really don't try to... You know, they don't think it's a big deal. I don't know if he really thought it was going to get this much attention, but it has. Like the conversation, because of people like myself and others, this has become the conversation. So in initial tweets I wrote, you know, I know that logically speaking, songwriters that are credited to albums get money. Right. That's why people love getting credited for their stuff. I mean, recently, Olivia Rodrigo had given credit to uh, Paramore for uh, uh, Good For You. And she's been Olivia Rodrigo has been getting a lot of plagiarism accusations for her music from Courtney Love to others. And so when she gave Paramore that songwriting credit um, the same way that, you know, Sam uh, Sam Smith had to give that credit for uh, Stay With Me um, so that, you know that controversy with uh, a a legend, you know, um, you know, it was a lot of talk about that. And a lot of people were just like Tom Petty, basically. He basically had to settle a copyright dispute with Tom Petty over the likeness of, I won't back down with stay with me. And they do favor. And Sam Smith had to give uh, Tom Petty a credit. Um, So this is something that happened. So, People fight for credit because, one, there's money to be made. So when I first heard this, I I was under the impression that, you know, R. Kelly's going to make money. What comes up that comes out that R. Kelly's so broke that he's trying to sell his catalog. No one has bought his catalog yet, but he's basically not being able to get money from it because he's copying legal fees in, in, in situations altogether. So he doesn't like pretty much get he's basically he's not making money directly from it. But people in the settlement, whoever has access to it this man needs to sell this catalog to sell legal fees to get access so there's going to be some money made off of it but in my opinion and what I want to be very clear about is that it's it's not just about the money I mean I initially thought that this man was making money it's great that he's not but at the end of the day I mean somebody is and at the end of the day this opens up a host of worms because he you know where he sampled the song so somebody's gonna stream this song and there's other ways that R. Kelly's music lives on to a new generation of music fans. And it's also the references, the cultural uh, significance of this album. All of that plays into it. And he basically gave one of the most notorious pedophiles in music history opportunity on a music world stage to be, once again, referenced, cited, and discussed in this way. And I just think to myself, like, I'm thinking about Drake. It's like, you are one of the biggest musicians right now on the planet why would you let your album roll out? Right, the most anticipated album of your career, arguably. Why would you let this come out and let this shit shadow that? Like, you're dumb. You're fucking stupid. And, and I just, I, I have no, you know what I'm saying, that um, I have just no, it, it's just, it's obvious. It's obvious. You know what I'm saying? It, it's obvious. Um, period. So it, it's a lot, um, you know, it, it's just not, it's just, you know, it, it's oh God. I, I, oh. mm. Mm. just. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, it's just one of those moments where you just see someone shoot themselves in the foot and you just don't know how to even understand it. Like, it's it's such an unnecessary thing that it's obvious that it, it was, it tells us more about Drake. I mean, we already know what, we, I mean, I don't know anybody who wants to support R. Kelly religiously, you know, <laughs> good luck with that. Right. <laughs> Whatever. My thought, though, is that one of the things that has been difficult for me um, in this process is seeing people move the goalpost based off of that. My, Drake fans have been so crazy about him that they're, 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 letting, they're letting him do whatever he wants to do at this point. He can move the goalpost any type of way. They're saying things like, oh, well, R. Kelly's not making money off the song. I'm just like, but, but that's not the point. I mean, so now the, new, now the new standard is as long as the pedophile artist does not make money off the song, we can still use said pedophile in our song. Especially a song like Half on a Baby. Especially knowing what type of man R. Kelly was in that era. Especially in a song that's talking about fetishizing black HBCU college girls. Like, I just don't understand how any of that makes sense. But then you start listening to other lyrics. And I talk about this on my Instagram around Drake. And I, I shared it, I share my posts and, and stuff, and stuff has been viral. I'm gonna share you on all these little places. And I'm telling people, like, yo, this is heavy. Like, like, this is nothing, this is open a new conversation that I think, again, Drake was not expecting. And like, yeah, there's gonna be diehard fans is gonna listen, and the controversy is gonna help him with streaming, but it's also gonna tarnish, I think, his reputation. Like, now this will be Something that's going to be a bookmark in the rollout of this album. Like now this is a conversation that's going to be a part of this album. Like it's it's indented in history. Like we will not forget what happened with Certified Lover Boys rollout or that song, right? Like now people are gonna be like, you know, whatever. And hey, that's that's music, that's journalism, that's history. Those are facts. Like that's that's what the art do. And you know. This is not my first time in the rodeo. Like, i have gone down this route with, you know, Justin Timberlake, who was also credited on that song. Life is so weird. But it is what it is in this industry. And, you know, as far as Drake go, man, look, if I was Drake, I would take that song off. He's not going to do it, probably. And I think he needs to offer some explanation for why the fuck he thought this was a good idea. But he probably won't. But I think it's worth... Something to be said for it. Something. Something. That's just my opinion. So I will tell you um that I won't be streaming Certified Lover Boy anymore. Um, I'm draped out. I, I I mean, that's my thoughts about that album. I'm not streaming it anymore. I'm good. Um, just hearing all these new stuff that this new information resurfaces about him. People are starting to connect dots. I mean, he had Nicki on the fucking album, even though she wasn't rapping on the album. It's just a lot of red flags. And I just feel like hip-hop is just so bad. Like, just the women. Shout out to the women who are trying to do their thing in hip-hop. Like, shout out to the women in hip-hop, man. Like, I, I just... And, and queer artists like Lil Nas X that's just pushing through in spite of it. Like, it just, you know, I don't know. I got I said on Twitter, like, you know, I watched, you know on the record that document by Russell Simmons and I um you know watched Surviving R. Kelly and what it did for me as a millennial journalist covering sometimes entertainment stuff is like not to be silent, you know, not to be silent on this on this issue. To to use my platform to to unpack some of these issues and talk about them and to call it out as a man. And I think, you know, I thought that that, that this would help spark A generation of of young black men like myself to speak out against rape culture in the entertainment industry and to use our platforms and the sad thing is that it's a lot of people that is just deflecting either they're not talking about the conversation at hand or they're spending so much time saying to people like trying to fact check people about how r kelly isn't directly getting the money and i'm just like but that's not the point like it's not the point it doesn't matter why did drake do it like why would you who cares if the man gets me I I just I just hate how people insert capitalism as a defense or either on the pro pro. like it's just stop like so are you what are you trying to and my thing is to put that article up with no kind like when people are sharing these articles and being passive aggressive in a type of way I always wonder to myself, and so what is the point you're trying to make? Are you trying to say, well, oh, well, Drake isn't, you know, but a lot of these people, and I'm just going to keep it 100, a lot of these, quote unquote, music writers and folks and some of these people that's involved, a lot of these people, the higher they get up, the more bought they become. It's all about celebrity access. They're brown nosing entertainers. They become friends with these celebrities. It's no longer about actually holding them accountable and doing, you know, adversarial journalism. It's all about access journalism. Like, they want to get invited to these parties. And listen, all of those things can happen but at the same time you have to have a, a discernment and a journalistic integrity and standard. A lot of people don't. They cherry pick what they want to touch. They don't touch the controversial stuff. They don't dive deep and ask the questions that matter. They want to be everybody's friend because they want to secure this career. I will tell you the day that I began to be fully compromised and afraid to tell a story because I'm scared about this relationship, that relationship, this thing and that thing, that's the day I start becoming a journalist and that's the day I become something else. And to me as long as I am going to be this, right? This journalist is going to speak truth to power. I cannot be scared to tell the truth, even if it is uncomfortable, even if it, it challenges. Because my whole thing is when I woke up and I decided last time I checked, these celebrities, these famous people, they did not give me this talent. They did not give me these platforms, right? Many of them, of course, have supported and shouted me out and retweeted me and invited me to things. yes. But best believe what keeps me in the business is those people knowing that I am unbought and unbothered and unmatched. And I need an uncompromised. And I need some of our aspiring journalists to live by example to see. I need them to see from us emerging journalists and us older journalists, these people coming in, they cannot just think of us only as celebrities or, or, or fancy folk. They have to really, you know, see us. As leaders with integrity, they have to see us having discernment. And look, everybody's style and swag is different. I'm not saying everybody got to do it like I do it, clearly. But I do think there needs to be people who are, are are willing to call a thing a thing and not stay silent and screenshot and just gossip amongst their peers. You know, like we got to stand in unison. We got we to gotta fight against something. I mean, what's the purpose of this? Why, why do we do this? I thought with Trump and everything going on that we as journalists would recognize That we need to unite around the bullshit that we know that be. Too many of our journalists are getting doxxed and harassed by fans and stands because we are doing our jobs. And there's not that many journalists standing up for other journalists anymore and doing that. So it's because it's just, it's disappointing. People are really bought out here. But these are the same people that's getting laid off or getting cut by some entertainment company or some group and then wondering why it's hard for them to find work or or or, or, or or you know, trying to call on people to get them help then. It's like, no, we should be helping each other when we're super successful when we're not, period. That's just my, that's that's my thoughts on it. So what I will say um, before, you know, quickly wrapping up, um, there will be a story that's coming about the situation between Sean King and I. Um, I look forward to you all reading it. I'll be sharing on social media, but a story is coming. I was interviewed, like I said, early in episode, but I wanted to confirm that the story is coming and it's a reported piece. And I I do provide context that around this quote unquote GoFundMe receipt that he's been around town showing off with Tamika Mallory and explaining why that receipt didn't actually prove anything. So look, look forward to that. Um, and yeah, so what I will say is that, uh, I'm enjoying my Labor Day weekend, relaxing, resting, writing, um, you know, I'm going through the motions, you know, getting this wedding together, um, getting excited on some other projects I have coming up. You know, I made an announcement that I signed a, 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 a a big old tech contract, a, a major tech deal. I am doing something with a tech company, uh, that's, that's, you know, founded by a black man and um supported by some really great influencers and some stuff and I don't want to tell too much details you know um you know it's in another galaxy hint hint <laughs> um and I'm I'm gonna be a part of this and I will tell more details when I can but people are excited about it. Um I can't wait. Uh like I said I, I'm always diversifying streams of revenue I'm always diversifying my talent um and I'm excited about this new venture um and I can't wait for that. Um, on TV, when I'm watching, what I'm not watching, what I'm watching, um, I've heard about this new, um, shang uh, Lee movie, uh, I, I, I'm excited about that, um, shang, Shang-Chi, um, and The Legend of the Ten Rings, super excited about that film, saw Candyman, y'all, I'm sorry, hated it, um, I did see Candyman, and I gotta make sure I don't say it more than another time, I saw that movie that I just previously mentioned, cause I gotta watch out. Um, <laughs> I saw it. I mean, I mean, I was born in Chicago. Like I said, you know, I seen the original one. I don't know. I wasn't crazy about it. I mean, you know, shout out to the fact that the woman, um, Neocostas is the first black woman uh to ever uh, get a, a film to debut at number one in the box office. Um Because, you know, uh, Ava DuVernay uh, came in at number two and other uh women in filmmaking. Um like Love and Basketball came in at number two, didn't hit that number one. But we saw with uh this film that even though it's you know critics are mixed on it and I'm one of those critics that have mixed thoughts about the film itself, um shout out to her for breaking a barrier for black women in film. So that's always great. Um wasn't too crazy about it. I've been hearing good things about the the, the Shang Chi and the legend of the seven of the, of the ten rings. Um excited about that um, heard good things about it. It's a Marvel film, um, and yeah, yeah. You know, it it does get a little dark, but yeah, the film as the, the subject matter, but. You know, I'm not really crazy about Marvel movies, but I'm always excited when they're diverse. So, I, I mean, like Black Panther, something like this. It's like diverse. And it's just like the same old white men in uniform. So, I'm excited about this movie. Um, I'm ex- Loving hip-hop, y'all. um getting into it. Okay, loving, loving hip-hop Miami and, and of course, loving hip-hop Atlanta. I'm watching them back-to-back, duel-to-duel. Um, it's the experience. Queen Sugar is coming this month. I cannot wait. Queen Sugar, you know, they just had a season and now it's coming back. So I'm I'm looking forward to Queen Sugar, y'all. I've been waiting for this. My sugar rush is back, and I'm going to attempt. And I think I'll be able to pull it off. I'm going to watch Clickbait on Netflix. Everybody's been talking about it. Don't tell it to me. It reminds me of White Lotus. Now I was a little disappointed with the White Lotus. I watched it. Um, it was alright, but it wasn't everything that everybody made it out to be. It was it was it was it was, it was what it was. Um, but clickbait, I've been hearing a lot about clickbait. So I'm gonna watch it, don't say about it, and you know, hopefully I will be able to finish it, which I think is pretty short. I'll be able to finish it by the time we get to the podcast. I'll tell you what I personally think about it. I'll tell you what I think about the Shang-Chi. I've heard good things about Shang-Chi. So we'll see. So, you know, like I said, I'm enjoying the weekend. Um, trying to stay off, stay out of the blogs as much as possible. Who knows? Um, And, you know, I encourage y'all to enjoy yourselves, take some time to just enjoy the weather while we think about climate change. Take a break. It's been a crazy opening for September. This has been a wild opening for September. Like, I just feel like, woo, September came. It's like fall came and slapped me in the face. Like summer is over. And, you know, I'm just doing my thing. So I hope you all having a good time. Super excited that y'all listen to the podcast and love you all and uh, be best. Earnestly Speaking is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. To stay up to date with the latest on the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Ernest Owens. Use the hashtag Speaking to tell me what you thought about this episode, and check out my website at ErnestOwens.com.